Welcome to the 10 day teaching hour where stepping into the Reformation in the church is becoming a reality. Hi, I'm Grant Berry. I'm Halle Berry. Hello. And we are very pleased and honored to have a special guest with us today uh, in the teaching hour. Um, Jürgen Bühler uh, is one of the uh, original board members for the Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. And just recently, we've formed a, a, a relationship between 10 days and the International Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. I'm sure Jürgen's going to give us a background, but uh, they are a very strategic ministry, especially um, with the uh, uh, emergence of the significance of, of Israel and the church. And so they play a very strategic role um, between church relationships and the remnant in Israel and the emerging body in the land. So Jürgen, it gives me great pleasure to hand it over to you, brother, and to um, share with us uh, your heart. I believe you're going to be uh, talking to us about the feasts this morning. Hallelujah. And then we, after you've finished, we're going to go into some uh, bottom of the hour. We're going to go in, into some prayer together. Praise God. Amen. Thanks so much, Grant, and uh, nice to see you. Uh, but seeing you on the screen here, it's a great privilege to be with you. Um, at Christian Embassy, we just came out at a, from a Rosh Chodesh. I will speak about it in a few moments. Prayer initiative where we had a 72-hour prayer chain starting the Jewish New Year. And for us, this is a, a very exciting season. The Christian Embassy, just a few words for those of you who never heard about the Christian Embassy, was established exactly 40 years ago. Um, in 1980, um, the Israeli Knesset passed a unique law, which was called the Jerusalem Law, which uh, this law said that Jerusalem is the undivided and eternal capital of the state of Israel. And as a consequence of that law, there was an emergency meeting of the Arab League, and they put a, a global threat on every nation. They said every country that would keep or put their embassy to Jerusalem, there will be an oil embargo. That means we will cut off their oil supply. And that was a, a very real threat because in the early 70s, some of you might rem remember that, there was already an oil embargo because of Israel. So the nations got scared and they, one after the others, there were 14 embassies also already in Jerusalem. They closed down their doors and they moved down to Tel Aviv. And until the last 40 years, until in 2017, President Trump moved the embassy to Jerusalem. There was no political embassy in Jerusalem for all those years. And in 1980, that year there was a very unique event uh, Christians came together for the first time from around the world to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles they were inspired by a prophecy of the prophet Zechariah who declares in chapter 14 verse 16 that in the last days all the nations of the world will come up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and there was a Canadian couple 
Murph and Merla Watson, and they said, well, if this prophecy is there, let's do this already now. And they started celebrating the feast. And then in 1980, at this very first celebration, they witnessed how one after the other of the embassies left. And they said, we need to do something. We need to uh, uh, establish an international Christian embassy in Jerusalem to show to the Jewish people that there are Bible-believing Christians around the world that stand on God's promises for Israel. And this was the founding hour of the Christian Embassy in 1980. We are, since then, we are helping many people to make Aliyah, to return back to Israel. We have a Holocaust home for Holocaust survivors. We are uh, supporting many of the minority groups, many Palestinian Arab projects here in the land, and many other things. I don't want to talk about that, but every year since then, we are celebrating since 40 years, the Feast of Tabernacles. And this year, of course, in the midst of the corona crisis, unfortunately, we can't uh, celebrate it physically, but we put together uh, a global online feast where we are inviting the nations of the world to join us. Well, when they cannot come to Jerusalem, we want to take Jerusalem to your living rooms that you can celebrate the feast wherever you are living around the world. And... Uh, and, and and Grant, I don't want to plug here, put a plug in here, but if you feel, I can send you a link if you later on want to share that. If people want to join the Feast of Tabernacles, uh, um, you can do so if you like. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so um, the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feasts uh, of the Bible, some people call them the Feasts of Israel. Um, the reason why they are so unfamiliar with many Christians, you know, I spoke, spoke this today, I had an interview with a Reformed theologian, and he says, during his whole education, he has a PhD in theology, I never once heard the word Feast of Tabernacles in all my theological studies. And he says, of course, we know about Easter, we know about Christmas, we know about Pentecost, but he says those biblical feasts, we never got any education in our, in our schools, in our uh, theological education. And before I start teaching about what the Bible says about those feasts, very briefly, I would like to give you a little bit of the background why it is like that, that Christians today, they refer to them as Jewish feasts. Christians today, they say, oh, this is maybe Jewish culture or some, of something like that, but they have no connection whatsoever with Passover, with Shavuot, with Sukkot, or Rosh Chodesh, or Rosh Hashanah, what we just celebrated at the beginning of the year. And the reason goes back to the year 334, when Emperor Constantine called for a, a church council in a Turkish city called Nicaea. And uh, there was a, a lot of good stuff taking place at that church, cult, uh, the church cult, uh, council. But one of the things that was really problematic was Constantine, for what, what reason ever, we don't really know it, but he hated the Jews. He didn't like the Jewish people. And he's, he made a single-handed decision that actually didn't come from any of the bishops or the priests. He said, we need to dissociate ourselves from the Jewish calendar. And from that year on, when this church council in Nicaea was uh, taking place, the church didn't celebrate anymore Easter, but they were celebrating from now on uh, 
uh, they didn't celebrate anymore Passover, excuse me, but they started to celebrate from now on Easter. And he chose the name because it happened to be on the day when there was a special sacrifice for the fertility goddess of Rome, Estera. And then he said also, we need a new rest day. It's not good for us to have the same uh, rest day or Shabbat like the Jewish people. And he invented a complete new day that didn't exist. You don't find anything with the old church fathers with Tertullian or Origen or whatever their name were. He says, we shouldn't meet on, on Sabbath anymore, but we call now the first day of the week, the day of the Lord, the Sunday. And over the century, the church, called, the church got completely disconnected from, I don't call them the Jewish feasts, but from the biblical feasts. And we developed our own church culture. culture. And Gary, uh, Barry, I, I was so excited what you just said about that this prayer gathering is about reformation. And reformation is something where we go back to the original state that God had intended. And I believe that there is a call for a reformation to see about, to look what God really had in mind in regard to those feasts. And I want you to open your Bible, if you have it with you, in Leviticus chapter 23. And uh, in Leviticus chapter 23, the entire chapter is about the feasts of the Lord. That's the headline that this chapter has in my ESV Bible. And I'm just reading here the first two verses. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, that's Leviticus chapter 23, 1 and 2. Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocation. They are my appointed feast, feasts. Now, the first point I would like to raise with you, that those feasts, they are not called in the Bible. These are the Jewish feasts, or these are the Jewish holidays. But the Lord says, these are my feasts. They are feasts that I established, and I gave them to the nation of Israel, but they belong to me. God says, here in the second part of verse 2, he says, these are my appointed feasts. And you know, we as Christian Embassy, we celebrate every year Feast of Tabernacles. And I always, every year, remind our staff, he says, guys, remember, this is not the Feast of the Christian Embassy or the Feast of our organization. This is the Feast of the Lord that we are celebrating. And for that reason, you know, this year with COVID-19 and everything falling apart, and in the beginning we had an emergency meeting, what's happening? We cannot have a Feast of Tabernacles. We really felt the Lord was speaking to us, says, you are going to have a feast because this is not a feast of your organization. This is not a feast that is dependent on COVID-19 or any other virus. God says, this is my feast, and I commanded you to keep it. And that's why we decided to have a global outreach, which will be on a, a very unique platform where we are engaging the whole world to celebrate with us the Feast of the Lord, the Feast of Tabernacles. The second point I would like to raise here, Number one, the Lord says, this is my feast. These are the feasts of the Lord. Number two, it says here, and he uses here a very special, uh, a very special Hebrew term. This is a moed. 
And the Hebrew word for Moed is a very unique, it's translated here with an appointed feast. It's a very unique word that comes, that you, you have it even in today's Hebrew language. Let's say, I want to make an appointment with Grant Barry. I say, Grant, I would like to meet with you. And uh, you might refer me to your assistant and she might say, well, I will put a Moed, I will put an appointed time in Grant's calendar. And this is exactly what this word here means. God says, there is an appointed time like a calendar entry that I placed down in my divine calendar. And that and God says, I fixed this date from before the foundation of the world that this will be a day of special appointment, of special meeting with his people. And let me tell you, the time is not enough, but we have seen so many radical changes, not only in individual lives that came out of the Feast of Tabernacles, but we have seen nations changing as people went back to their country. Just last year, we had for the first time for, um, a group from Egypt with us. And this was um, an unheard of story. We never had people from Egypt joining us because it was politically not possible for them to come. And last year in May, I was visiting with some friends. I think you might know him, Tom Craig. I think he's sometimes part of those gatherings. And he said, let's go to Egypt uh, to invite the believers there to the Feast of Tabernacles. And we did that for the one reason that if you read Zechariah chapter 14, the only nation that is mentioned by name is the nation of Egypt. It says here in Zechariah 14, and if the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, on, the, on them there shall be no rain, and, there shall, and this shall be the plague with which the Lord afflicts the nation that do not go up to keep the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. If the family of Egypt does not go up and present themselves, there shall be no rain. So we went on a mission to Egypt last, last spring. We met in Cairo with some 12, 13 spiritual leaders from the whole country. And I was ready with all heavy arsenal to convince them that they should come to the Feast of Tabernacles. And I was in for an incredible surprise as we meet, met those pastors. Each one of them came to us and Jürgen Zachariah 14 says, Egypt need to be at the Feast of Tabernacles. Can you please help us? So last year we had them at the feast. They were standing on our platform on the, on the very first night and we blessed them. And as they were standing on our platform, a brother came to me and showed, uh, showed me his WhatsApp message. And he says, you're going to read that. And it was a news alert that was coming at that moment from Cairo. They say, we have right now historic rainfall in Cairo. And you need to know in September or in October, it never rains, not in Southern California, but it never rains in Egypt. And uh, those people were standing on our platform and at that very moment there was a rainfall down in Egypt. And as they came back to Egypt, they were welcomed by a torrential rain that you can even Google it in the news last year, October, there was historic rainfall in Cairo that even the streets were flooded. So God says, this is an appointed time of the Lord, says I'm going to do things if you are keeping those feasts. And, I want to be very clear, you know, I don't want to take anybody back to Judaism or to say, well, we have to keep Jewish feasts. 
but I'm just telling you what the Bible says about those feasts. I'm a very uh, ordinary Christian like you and me and uh, like every one of us. I eat my pork sausages and whatever, but um, I feel these are appointed times of the Lord where he says, I want you to watch out because I'm going to do something very special there. So he says, number one, these are my feasts. Number two, he says, these are appointed times. I put them in the calendar, and if you want to meet them, you better watch out because you can meet me on the, in those days. Now, there are three big uh, celebrations. They are called the, the three pilgrimage feasts. And those pilgrimage feasts, these were the feasts where the Lord told the people of Israel, I want you to come to Jerusalem to celebrate those feasts. And this is Passover, this is uh, Pentecost, and this is the Feast of Tabernacles. Three times a year, the Lord says, I want you to appear before me, and I want you to come up to Jerusalem and to Jerusalem. And with those feasts, they are, they are divided in two seasons. They are divided in a spring season where you have... Uh, an accumulation of four feasts that are taking place in the springtime. And then you have the autumn feasts that ju just started two days ago with the beginning of the new year with Rosh Hashanah. And these are three feasts that are following each other in the autumn time. The spring feast is Passover. And then you have the feast of the unleavened bread. Uh, this is where all the leaven had to be wiped out from the from the houses and those two feasts, you can read it in First Corinthians chapter five. Jesus, uh, Paul is referring to them as being fulfilled by Jesus. He says he is our Passover lamb, and he calls upon the church. Therefore, put out the leaven of sin from your houses. And in the in this week, there was another festival, and this was called the Feast of the First Fruit. And I just want to make a few comments about that because I believe you all understand that Jesus is our Passover lamb and his blood speaks more powerful than the blood of Abel if we seize it on our lives like it was applied to the doorsteps on the, on the time of the Feast of Passover. But I would like to make a few comments about the Feast of First Fruit. The Feast of First Fruit is a celebration that... Uh, where the, the priests presented the firstling of the harvest to the Lord. And the firstling of, that harv of the harvest was not that the, the harvest was already ripe and there was the first harvest being brought in. But if you read the Talmud and the rabbinical writings, the high priest went into the temple with actually green sheaves that they were not ripe yet, but they were removed from a field. They will not come to full maturity, but they brought them into the temple and they blessed them there before the Lord. And uh, if you go to Romans 11, where Paul speaks about the Jewish people in Romans 11, maybe let's go there quickly. We, we read there a principle about the first fruits. In Romans 11, uh, Paul uh, in verse 16 says, if the Tao offered as first fruits is holy, so the whole lump is holy. And if the root is holy, so are also the branches. Now what Paul is teaching us here that if the first fruit is holy, with it, the whole lump is being sanctified. And what the Jewish people said by sacrificing and dedicating those first fruits to the Lord, we are with that dedicating to the Lord the entire harvest of the rest of the year. 
And what happened on that very day, if you go to in Leviticus chapter 23, the chapter where we have been, in verse 11 it says, And he shall wave a sheaf before the Lord, so that you may be accepted. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And uh, let me ask you, when did Jesus rise from the dead in this Passover week? It was on the first day of the week. It was on the day after the Sabbath. On the first day of the week, Mary went to the tomb and she found, wow, the tomb is open, the Lord is risen. Paul says then later on in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20, Jesus is the first fruit from the dead. So in, the very first, in this very day when in the temple, the first fruits were offered to the Lord, Jesus as the first fruit rose from the dead proclaiming that after him millions and millions of people all around the world will receive the same resurrection power like Jesus received on that day of resurrection. So he became the firstling of a powerful manifestation of God's resurrection power. Then if we move on to the Feast of Shavuot or the Feast of Weeks or Pentecost, the word Pentecost means it's connected to the people of Israel needed to count 50 days from Passover uh, to Shavuot or to the Feast of Pentecost. And it says in Acts chapter 2 now, when the day of Pentecost has fully come, was fulfilled, uh, a mighty rushing wind was filling that upper room in Jerusalem. And there appeared on everyone flames of fire on each one of them. Now, what was, uh, what was the re relevance of that from the Old Testament? We read about it that uh, in the Old Testament, if you go to the book of Exodus chapter, chapter 19, uh, you will make an interesting discussion, that uh, the discovery where you read about the exact date when Israel arrived on Mount Sinai. It says here in Exodus chapter 19, on the third new moon, on the third month, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of, of uh, Sinai. And what is unfolding now, that Moses went up to Mount Sinai. The Lord says, um, the Lord is going to do sanctify you, yourself for two more days. And on the third day, the Lord will do a miracle. And the rabbis, they calculated, and you can do the calculation exactly also uh, according to this passage, it was exactly 50 days after Passover that the Lord came down on fire on Mount Sinai. And what, you know what we sometimes, you know, I'm uh, the son of a Pentecostal pastor, but uh, we as Pentecostals sometimes uh, miss out. You know, we understand, of course, the Holy Spirit was pulled out. He's empowering us and he's uh, making all kinds of gifts and manifestations available for us. But the original meaning of Pentecost, I think, is a very powerful one. When Moses was on the mountain with God and the Lord came down uh, with fire and with smoke and with a mighty noise on that day, there was shofar blowing being heard. What happened on the Mount Sinai? What happened on that day on this mountain on the Sinai Peninsula? The Lord spoke out the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words to the people of Israel. And it was an incredible manifestation. The people came to Moses and says, tell the Lord, we can't stand his voice anymore. You talk to him, but we don't want to hear his voice anymore because it will kill us. 
if he continues to speak to us. And then the Lord, the, the Lord continued to speak to, to Moses, and we read that Moses returned down from the mountain, and this is the result of the very first Pentecost, that he received two tablets of stone, it says in Exodus chapter 33, written by the finger of God. Two tablets of stone written by the finger of God. Now you might say, what does, where does the Holy Spirit come in place and, and all that? And let me teach you something that I learned from John Wimble at a conference many years ago. Um, John Wimble, in one of his conferences about the um, about power evangelism, spoke about casting out of demons. He was reading in Luke chapter 11, verse 20 to us, where he said, well, Jesus speaks to the Pharisees. It's about the sin against the Holy Spirit. He says in Luke chapter 11, verse 20, but if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Now, here it is again, the finger of God doesn't appear too many places in the Bible. Now, the same passage is given to us in the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 12, we can read the parallel story of what I've just read, what I've been just reading to you. And there in chapter 12, verse 28, we read the exact same story, the exact same context. But here Matthew gives it us in a little bit different phrasing. He says, but if by the Spirit of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Luke says, if by the finger of God I'm casting out demons. Matthew said, if I cast them out by the Spirit of God. You know, since the Bible cannot contradict itself and each other, and both need to see and need to uh, mean the same, it's a very simple mathematical equation. It means the finger of God is nothing else than the Spirit of God. And that means that the Spirit of God was right up there on Mount Sinai when God gave the commandments and he put the laws, the commandments on those tablets of stone. Now, if you go to Second of Second Corinthians chapter 3, um, uh, Paul is making an, an amazing statement. You know, we are hiring constantly new staff in Jerusalem, and if we don't know people, they need to send us letters of recommendations from their pastors and letters of recommendations from their previous employers. And here in, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, do we need a letter of recommendation for our ministry? And he says, no, you are our letter of recommendation. Verse 3, you are the letter delivered by us, written not with ink, by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of God, on stone, but on tablets of new hearts or of hearts of, of flesh. That means what Paul is saying, what happened on Pentecost, what the Holy Spirit was uh, accomplishing there. And I think this is the main impact of the Holy Spirit is that, yes, there are tongues and signs and wonders and the gifts and the manifestation and words of prophecy and all that. But the biggest outcome of the day of Pentecost is that 
this fire of God that came down on a huge rock in the Sinai desert now suddenly came down on human beings of flesh and blood. And it didn't write the commandments on a tablet of stone, but now it was writing God's commandments on the human hearts of his first disciples. That's why you see a dramatic transformation of Peter, that this guy who was um, telling this simple woman, uh, I don't know Jesus, I curse myself. Who is this Jesus? Never seen him. Don't know what you are talking about. It's this exact same person now stood up in three before 3,000 people. Jesus, absolutely, yes, I'm his disciple. And if you don't repent, you will be lost. But if you repent and confess your sins, you will be saved and you will receive the Holy Spirit. So we, as, we see a complete transformed group of disciples before they were uh, quarreling with each other. Who is the biggest among us? And now suddenly said, nobody said about their possession belonging to them, but everybody was respecting the other higher than himself. And you see what I'm talking about is that in a way what's happened in this first Pentecost in the desert, it was an amazing fulfillment taking place at the Pentecost celebration in the early church. Now as we are coming to the autumn feast, and that's why I'm really excited because I believe these are the feasts that are really prophetic feasts about the times in which we are living in. There is a second application to the, to the Feast of Tabernacles. Now one is the, the, the connection that has to do with the history of Israel um, this connection, of course, it's very obvious, the Feast of Passover. It is the feast when Israel left Egypt and with a, as an outstretched and mighty hand, the Lord was leading them out of bondage. And uh, then they came on uh, to Mount Sinai and on Pentecost, the Lord came down with fire on the mountain in Sinai. We see uh, an amazing uh, effect here. With the Feast of Tabernacles, it is slightly different. This was a feast that Israel could not celebrate during their desert wandering. Now, those 40 years when Israel was in the desert, uh, they could celebrate Passover. They could remember, yes, we remember those days when in Egypt, the Lord with a mighty hand with 10 plagues, uh, he brought judgment on Pharaoh and his army. Um, we remember how the Lord came down on fire on Shavuot and Pentecost on the mountain, and they could celebrate very well those two feasts. But the Feast of Tabernacles, they couldn't celebrate in the desert wandering because they were still living through it. Because when Israel later on arrived in Israel, the Lord said, told Israel, he says, once you are in the promised land, once you crossed over the river Jordan, when you, once you are taking possession of your inheritance, then you will look back to those days when you were in the desert, when the sun was shining over you and you had those flumsy huts that uh, were very susceptible to the storms and you have to rebuild them again. And it was a time when uh, your diet was a very limited one. Every day you got manna and you, every day you got those quails and there was the water coming from the rock. And in the beginning, this was amazing and miraculous. But I guarantee each one of you, after 40 years eating manna, quail, and only water, I think we all would be bored to have this type of diet. 
And the Lord says, one day there will be, you will be living in your houses. You will be living in an incredible land that is flowing with milk and honey. You will have possessions of houses that you did not build. You will get wells that you did not, that, uh, did not dig. Um, it will be an amazing time. But once a year, he says, I want you to remember back those days when you were in the desert and I took care of you. I want you to remember the days when your clothes didn't wear out, when there was no sick among you, among you, when I provided every need. Yes, it wasn't the perfect time, but I was with you and I took care with great faithfulness about every need that you had. And I want at least once a year, the Lord says, I want you to reminiscence over those old days when you were in the desert. And the interesting thing about those autumn feasts is that um, they are three feasts, first of all, if you are back in, in, in Leviticus chapter 23, uh, just for you to know what feasts we are talking about, it is the uh, Feast of Trumpets. That's the feast that we just had a few days ago. If you look in, in 23, chapter 23, it is verse 23. It is a memorial proclaimed by the blast of a trumpet. Now we will blow blowing in our prayer meetings the shofar like crazy. And if you lived here in Israel, you heard almost this year, I think never, like never before, I heard so many shofars being blown in houses all across our little village where we are living in. The same my friends in Jerusalem told me that they heard shofar blowing out of almost every house. And they say, we never heard it so much like in this year. And it's a, a blast. In a way, I would like to interpret it like that. It's You had after the last feast, the Feast of Pentecost, there was this long, summery, hot, dull summer season where you had no harvest going on. Uh, there's only blue sky. You know, I, coming from Germany, I could never imagine to have three months in a row only blue sky until I came to Israel from the end of May until the um, the end of September. You hardly see any cloud in the Israeli sky. And it's very hot. We just had a few days. We were actually we were filming for the Feast of Tabernacles. And it was the hottest recorded day in the history of Israel. I tell you, we, we spent a lot of sweat, sweat, blood and tears down in the Jordan Valley as we were recording there. And it was a very hot season. Hey, baby, I'm right here. And then at, this, at the end of the, uh, the summer season, there is a major blast going throughout the, the, the whole nation. And it's almost like the Lord says, wake up, something exciting is going to take place. It's called a blowing of a memorial. And it's a twofold memorial. One is the Lord says, I'm going to remember you. I'm going to remember, yes, there was something I still wanted to do with my people. And then secondly, also, he wants his people to, co to commemorate and to remember there is still a destiny for us, waiting for us. The next big celebration that is followed after that, you read it in, in chapter 26. This is the Feast of the Day of Atonement. And this is the holiest of all the days in the Jewish calendar. It's called Yom Kippur. And this is the only day in the year when the high priest went into the temple and went into the Holy of Holies. And only once a year, he really could see 
the presence of the Lord, the Shekinah glory in the, of the Lord in the Holy of Holies. And it was such a scary thing that the rabbis, they report us that they put a rope at his feet because they weren't sure if he would survive that encounter with God. They said if he would be struck that, that, that would be a rope at his leg because nobody else was allowed to go in. So we can pull him out on the rope from the Holy of Holies. It was an awesome day and it was that day when the Lord says, I'm going to deal with the sins of all the nations of Israel. And we all here in Israel, we believe this will have a great significance in, in, order, in, in, re, in relationship to uh, bringing salvation, revival to the land of Israel. And I will say a few more words in a few seconds about that. And the last feast was, there was this Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a seven-day celebration where Israel was called to dwell in booths. And, uh, and the, the way how the rabbis are descri describing that, it says here in verse 42, you shall dwell in booths for seven days, all native Israelites. They shall uh, dwell in booths that your generations may know that I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And that means they had to commemorate the time of the desert wandering. The rabbis say the booth needs to be flimsy enough that you still can see the stars at night in the sky. Uh, even if it's raining, you should still feel the raindrops hitting your head. And the Jewish people until today, they take their meals in those sukkahs. They are sometimes even sleeping there in their sukkahs. And it's a very unique time, which has also a lot to do with the word of God. It starts the, the, the reading of the, the Torah cycle, where they study the Talmud and the Torah in their sukkahs. And you hear a lot of singing and festivities coming of those, out of those sukkahs. And I wish you could be in Jerusalem for tabernacles. It's an amazing view where you see on balconies, in gardens, in public squares, everywhere they are building those sukkahs and they are fulfilling those commandments. Now, there is a prophetic um, aspect about that. And, you know, there is much to share. You know, each one of those feasts, there could be a whole uh, lesson being given about that. But I will give you just a little bit of a bird's eye view on those feasts. And there is a prophetic significance that I believe is very important for the days in which we are living in today. Are you all still with me? And are you all listening? Yeah. Okay, good. I hope those who switched off their cameras are not sleeping, but uh, I, I feel <laughs> the presence of the Lord here. This is a good prayer meeting you guys are having. I feel the presence of the Lord here in my office. Amen. And, you know, the Feast of Trumpets, there is something uh, to that feast. It was the seventh month. It's uh, In Hebrew, it's called the month of Kislev. And on the first day of the month, the Lord says, I want you to proclaim a memorial shofar blow. blow, blow. It's called a, a teruah, and the Hebrew word for that holiday is Yom Teruah, the day of the shofar blast. And... Um, the question is, why is this day so special? You need to understand if you are living, or if you have been living in Israel at the time of the temple, when Jesus was alive and the disciples still went to the temple, even the time of the first temple that was built by, by Solomon, 
the Bible gives in Numbers uh, chapter 10 a, an instruction that is quite often forgotten by, by believers or it's ignored by believers, but it's uh, actually appearing quite a lot of times in the Bible. There was a special celebration in Israel that was going on every month. In Numbers chapter 10, um, the, the, the chapter starts about the two silver trumpets. If you, uh, if you have your Bible open, you see there were certain regulations about, this wasn't the ram's horn, but this was silver trumpets. And they were blown not in your private home or in the synagogue, but they were blown only in the temple. And now, or in the tabernacle when it was here in the time in the desert. And those silver trumpets, they had different uh, meanings. They were called to, they were there to call the people together for a special assembly. They were there to mobilize the army, etc. There are six different reasons given why those silver trumpets should be blown. The very last one, and you read this here in verse 10, it says, and in the day of your gladness also, at your appointed feast, here is the word again, the Mo'edim, the feasts of the Lord, um, and at the beginnings of your month, and the Hebrew word here is for Rosh Chodesh, the beginning of every month, the Lord says, you shall blow the trumpet over your burnt offerings and over your sacrifices. They shall be a reminder of you before the Lord, I am the Lord your God. And what happened in Jerusalem on every beginning of the month, on the pinnacle of the temple, that's where the devil took Jesus when he wanted to tempt him to, to jump down from the pinnacle of the temple in order that the angels might catch him. At that very place, the temples, the, the priests would stand and they would blow out their silver trumpet in order to declare the arrival of a new holiday, a moed, an appointed time, and also at every beginning of the month. That meant, means whenever a new month started, there was a, a huge trumpet blow coming out from the temple and Israel understood it's a new, a, a new month that is coming. And of course you understand that the calendar in Israel is not a lunar calendar like we have in our Western world, but it's, a, a, um, uh, it's not a solar calendar, excuse me, uh, that is based on the sun, but it's a calendar that is based on the moon. And that's why the Bible here says that on every new moon, when a new month starts, you shall blow those silver trumpets. And um, we started a prayer campaign. I think you will like that. We started a, a prayer shofar blower trumpet call where we are gathering our branches around the world uh, to have a, uh, we had the last one was a 72 hours uh, prayer chain where we pray for global revival and for revival in Israel. But this trumpet call was repeated month by month. Now, the seventh month, there was again a trumpet call and God says, this is going to be a very special one. And it's going to go, it's, it's entering or it's announcing a new season of holidays. And I think this our feast there, well, the fulfillment, the complete fulfillment, we are just seeing the foreshadows of this fulfillment taking place in the times in which we are living in. And I believe from the bottom of my heart, those feasts, they will become more and more significant for the church in the years to come, because we are heading into the season of fulfillment of those holidays. Now, yes. Yeah. Uh, can I ask you a question? 
absolutely, absolutely. Um, obviously, with your ministry focus, you are really are a bridge between the church and, and Israel and the remnant of Israel. Um, much of our Christian family still uh, is following teachings that, you know, the feasts have been fulfilled and we don't need to connect with them anymore. What would you say, what would you, would you say to someone that was still kind of uh, under, under uh, that, that thought concept? Uh, how, how would you, how would you, uh, how would you speak to that? Well, it's, um, first of all, if people say that um, they are not really consequent with making those statements, because those people who will tell you, well, those feasts are not there for us anymore, they have no meaning, they still celebrate Easter, they still celebrate Pentecost. Now, if you look what those festivals were, they were biblical festivals, they were just, they received a change date, a few hundred years ago, so they are still celebrating that. If you look at the early church, uh, they never thought, they, they, you will see none of the church fathers who said, well, it's great Jesus died for our sins, now we don't need to celebrate Passover anymore, but they said, well, praise the Lord, Jesus died for our sins, now when they celebrated Passover, it received a much more fuller and more significant meaning for them, because when they, when they remember the Lamb, they didn't think about the lamb in the temple anymore, but Jesus being their lamb. So, you know, it's uh, when they say, oh, these are not relevant feasts for us, even when they say, oh, we, we don't keep the Shabbat. Honestly, I come from Germany, we did. However, our Shabbat was shifted one day to, to Sunday, but on Sunday, like even more than in Israel, for in my childhood, all the shops were completely closed on Sunday. You couldn't buy anything. There was even no restaurant open on Sunday because why it was the day of the Lord. So if they tell us, well, this feast don't mean anything to us, it's not true. We keep them, but we just keep them on a new day. And uh, I think it's even, for me, honestly, celebrating a Passover sale with the Jewish people. And then reading the New Testament and understanding Jesus is our Passover lamb, I, this is the greatest blessing you can imagine. You see, first of all, what Jesus fulfilled. You appreciate the richness of your salvation in a much greater way. And even you know what I shared about the Holy Spirit. Even many Pentecostals, they don't understand the connection of, of Pentecost to what happened in Mount Sinai. And I feel it's absolutely per of paramount importance to understand that because it teaches about a lot about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. So I think those feasts are still very significant for us. And that's why the church fathers, they said, we need to keep those celebrations, of course, now with a focus on Jesus. We need to keep celebrating Easter, which used to be Passover. We need to keep celebrating Pentecost, which used to be Shavuot, because they realized there is an incredible significance in those liturgies. And I think, you know, it's, the question is, and this is an unfortunate thing, there was a date change taking place in the fourth century, and I honestly don't suggest to turn the wheel back, at least not in a sudden, because this could cause a lot of church divisions and splits, and that's not worthwhile, the whole exercise. But I think it is still important for us to understand their significance, and maybe there is a reformation on the way where one day the Lord will restore that back in his time and timing 
but it needs a powerful move of the Holy Spirit. This cannot be man-made, otherwise you are going to divide the church. On that note, Joachim, would you lead us in the last few minutes that we have here, um, would you lead us in prayer? Would you, would you pray, first of all, pray for us to come into a deeper understanding of the feasts of the Lord, but, and also to be able to communicate this to others, but also can we also pray for the church that is still veiled to, to the reconnection in the body of Messiah? Yeah. If I can, you know, I, I realize that we're a little bit carried away and the time is already coming to an end, but what you are saying, and that's what I'm going to pray for, it has to do, it has much to do with what Malachi chapter 4 says. There will come a time when I turn back the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. And you know, there are a lot of different levels of application here. But I believe one of them really is, you know, if you look at the Jewish people and at the nation of Israel, everything that we received, be it this book here or Messiah, the first apostle that preached the gospel around the world, they were all Jews. They are the spiritual fathers of the church. And I believe there is an incredible restoration needed between Israel and the church where God will bring back together what needs to be back together. And I think that has much to do also with the holidays, but of course it needs to have God's timing. Father, I thank you for this amazing prayer gathering. I want to bless everything that was shared today. Father, I place it before your throne that you, uh, whatever was important for you, Father, that you allow it to grow and to bring fruit, 30, 60, even a hundredfold. And Father, I ask you that you come down with a spirit of revelation father that you come down in night visions and dreams and supernatural revelation as people are reading your word father that those passages will just jump out to them that they understand a new meaning for them father that they see what you have intended those appointed times with your people from the foundations of the earth and father we ask for the global body of christ that you Bring, Father, for this Elijah ministry of reconnecting the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers, Father, that we will see a powerful move of your Holy Spirit around the church to reconnect from where the church was springing, of the, to reconnect to Jerusalem, to reconnect to Zion, Father, to understand what needs to be done and what does not need to be done, Father. We ask you for wisdom father with even what i shared father that that what 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 they need to keep in their hearts that they treasure it they bring let it be brought back and uh, bring it back to memory through your holy spirit father in the name of jesus and father i call forth this season of the restoration of all things and i believe that this belongs also to the time of the restoration of those treasures that were lost in the first century that those uh, jewels and those gemstones will be rediscovered, not only doctrinal, but even regarding the power and the authority that your church had here in Jerusalem. Father, I, I bless these 10 days of prayer, Father. We, I ask you that those days will be a season of reviving the church around the world, that this will be an apostolic shofar blow, like on the Rosh Hashanah, that this blast will be heard around the world and more importantly, even in the spiritual realm, that 
There will be a shaking going through the spirits of darkness that are surrounding us and that it will bring forth a change that will destroy the works of the enemy in the name of Jesus, I pray. Father, I thank you for Grant Berry, for his ministry. I thank you for every leader that is involved with this amazing prayer chain. I ask you to join them. I ask you that you give them uh, an increase and the Father, that this will explode and grow Father, out of the bounds of what they even think and can imagine in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. 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 Jürgen, on behalf of uh, Jonathan Friss, who can't be with us today, uh, we have, uh, we actually have 150 different locations celebrating uh, and praying through the 10 days of war all over America and now in many different nations. And uh, we thank you so much for your heart and your teaching and your love for the family of God and especially for restoration and reconnection in the one you man, Jogan. Could you, uh, I'm gonna make a couple of announcements and while I do that, could you post the link in the chat to the uh, Feast of Tabernacles uh, Zoom because I'm sure many of us will be with you um, celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles on that Zoom and we look forward to it. Um, and do say, send our best to Tom as well. Uh, love from, uh, from Jonathan Frizz. Hallelujah. Thank okay, you. Can I just say one last word? It's not a Zoom meeting, actually. It's a full blast conference that comes from a TV studio where we have live worship and live messages. Some of them will be messages that come from around the world. And also, I think the only the, the prayer gathering actually is a Zoom prayer gathering. Everything else is... Uh, it's a very well, nicely done conference that really will enjoy. And I just posted the link feast at ICJ.org. Thanks so much. Thanks, Grant. Uh, thanks so much for having me today. It's an awesome privilege. Right, really. And I look forward to meeting with you when I'm back in uh, Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you so much, brother. We have, uh, before we hand it over to Lucien's uh, prayer hour, we have. Um, we have one major announcement today, and uh, I would like to also end in prayer for the return. Um, we are coming up this Saturday to perhaps one of the biggest uh, uh, prayer and repentance events, most probably in our global history. And um, um, as we have formed an alliance and, and partnership with the return, with, uh, with Kevin Jessup and Jonathan Kahn, and supporting them in prayer, um, uh, I just want to remind many of us to really be pressing in this week for prayer and intercession to support the return from administration to communications to um, everything that happens around the stage in the physical location. There's so much to organize, so much to arrange, uh, and uh, there is opposition that we also need to deal with. And so um, uh, Maya has also agreed to give, uh, we have a special prayer time at three o'clock in the afternoon uh, where all of the states, nearly all of the states, we still have a couple of more that need to be represented, are coming into agreement with prayer for the United States. And uh, we will be uh, taking um, several minutes from the end of that prayer time um, towards the end of that prayer time, I should say, uh, to pray for the return each day. So um, if you can, please join us on, on, that, uh, on that prayer hour. 
and uh, I'd like to finish uh, with prayer for the return. Um, and then we'll hand it over to Lucienne for the Rea prayer hour. Thank you, Father. Thank you for our blessed brother, Jürgen, and all of the ministry of ICEJ in Jerusalem. That's the International Embassy, Christian Embassy in Jerusalem. And Lord, we, we just thank you for, for their ministry. We thank you for their love and their commitment to be a bridge between the Christian church and the remnant of Israel. And uh, Lord, we know that you are doing much to restore us in these days. And so ministries like these are so necessary to help bring greater understanding uh, to, to the wider body. And Father, we have uh, uh, this week a, a very significant outreach coming up um, called The Return. And uh, we lay it before you this afternoon, Father, and we ask you just to to lead us and guide us to be praying for the return uh, ministry, for the leadership, for their families, their husbands and wives, and uh, for the administrative team, for those that will be speaking at the podium, uh, for the weather. We thank you so far. The weather is looking, looking good. We pray for all the hotel arrangements, and we, we just also pray, Lord, for a supernatural visitation from your spirit, a presence of the Lord on that mall, Lord, that is going to melt the hearts of those that are even have called to, to bring resistance. We pray, Father, that you would give us wisdom, but you would also give us love, Father, to be able to reach the lost, oh God, and that people will be saved out of this day on that mall, coming to, to uh, protest, they would their protest would be would turned into submission and and a crying out and a connection to you and that that you may they they may be thinking that they're coming to to uh, washington to protest but lord we ask you to draw those father that you are touching into a loving relationship with you and use many of us on the mall to be able to lovingly dialogue with them uh, but we do ask, Father, that violence would be subdued. There is no place for that, Father. And we ask that you would lead your holy angels on that day. We pray for Billy Graham's march around the city. We pray, Father, that there would be, you would just touch the hearts of many, many hundreds of thousands of Christians, that we would make a statement, Father, not just to stand up for you, but to come into repentance for our country and to really cry out father for a change and lord that this would not just be a, a one-day event but it would be the birth of a movement in your church father to 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 cut deeper lord to to uh, prepare your bride to make us holy father to cause us to uh, to be wholehearted and a uh, lord to fill us up with the virgin's oil that we would be made ready so that when you come and when you surprise the world, Father, we will be ready for you. And uh, we ask and lovingly submit our hearts to you during these days and ask you to prepare us, Lord, to make us ready, Father, to, to uh, touch places in our heart that need to be transformed things, places that perhaps we have not even opened up to you yet, perhaps even pain, painful places in our heart that you're knocking on the door of. And, and we have not yet allowed you in. Help us to 
to, to submit ourselves to you, to open our hearts to you and allow you to purify and sanctify and to make us a spotless and pure bride, ready for your coming, filled up with your fire and moving in your authority. And Lord, we just do pray for the return and for Jonathan Kahn and Kevin Jessup and all those that will be leading out this day and all the intercessors called to cry out for, for repentance and reformation. We ask a blessing upon their health, upon their traveling mercies. We plead the blood of Yeshua over each one and each circumstance and over the technical team. And Lord, just show us how to pray. Show us how to pray and keep it upon our hearts, Father, that you would prepare the spiritual skies, oh God, and you would use us to prepare the spiritual skies for this event on the 26th, Father. B'Shem Yeshua, in the matchless name of Jesus, we pray.